0: Continuing in Mark, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 35. And if you need a Bible, you find them in front of you um, under the seat. That's Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 35. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out jet demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, Urges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother.
1: One moment. <laughs> there we go. That'll help. <laughs> hey there. Uh, my name is Max Brewer. Um, I am one of the ministers here. I'm the student minister. Uh, it's my honor and privilege uh, to get to open God's word with you tonight. Um, so why don't we just start by praying and committing this time to God? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, uh, we thank you that it is relevant. And applicable to us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now clearly through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, at high school, uh, school sport was compulsory uh, where I went, but I was not good at sports and to be honest, uh, not much has changed, sports are just not really my thing, anyone who knows me will know that's that's true, Um, here's a a photo of me, (laughs) age 11, prime of my life, Um, I was young for my year and so at the age of 11 years old, about half my current height, entering into year 7, I had to sign up for my first experience of Saturday school sport On offer was cricket, basketball, surf lifesaving, and biathlon. Which sport was right for me? Where did I belong? Now, I was definitely no athlete, uh, but I could manage a run and a swim in the pool, and I'd heard that biathlon only had one midweek training session instead of the normal two, and so I thought, that sounds pretty good to me. Now unfortunately, uh, my strategic plan was about to be ruined. One of my friends, uh, he wanted to do surf life-saving and was determined to have a friend join him in doing that. So as we were standing up in sort of to line up, to sign up, he tricked me and told me that his line was the biathlon line, so I went and stood with him. Little did I know I was signing up for surf life-saving. <laughs> Now, I grew up uh, just up the road in Seaforth, uh, but some important context here uh, is that at this point in my life, age 11, I had literally never been to the beach. I had never swum in the surf. I had no idea how to manage waves. I was both physically and metaphorically out of my depth. I remember that year my birthday, this is quite sad actually, my birthday was on a Saturday which was like I was dreading this, the weather was rough, the surf was big and so heading out to surf life saving, I can still remember crying in the car convinced that I was going to die (laughs) in the surf on my 12th birthday because I just did not belong in that sport, that was not for me. It wasn't that the people weren't nice or that I felt excluded. Surf life saving just wasn't the right place for me. I didn't fit there. It sort of had seemed like how I'd been made by God wasn't for that. (laughs) Like with zero beach experience, completely unable to manage waves, surf life saving was not for me. I did not belong. Now, if you're taking notes... And I do encourage you to do so whenever a sermon is preached. Um, But if you're writing notes, write down this heading, where do we belong? As human beings, where is the right place for us? The place where we will flourish and thrive. Where is that? Where's the right place for humans? Where do we belong? In today's passage, this question of where we belong comes into view in a big way. So do have your Bibles open in front of you. Uh, We're looking at Mark chapter three, beginning at verse seven. Now, if this is your first week with us, uh, you have landed in the perfect week for you. Or if you have my memory and just cannot remember anything that's really happened so far, this is the perfect week for you. Because this this chunk of Mark's gospel opens up uh, with a summary of what's happened so far. Me and my wife, Kate, uh, we just finished watching WandaVision on Disney Plus. If you haven't seen it, based on that very small response, I'm suggesting not many people have seen it, but I highly recommend it, it's a great TV show. Um, But something that I notice is if you're binging a show on Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever that is, uh, WandaVision or something else, and you watch episodes back to back to back to back, it skips over the previously on sort of Disney Plus recap. I don't know if you've noticed that. But if it's been a while, it shows you the recap. And so up until this point, it's sort of like we've been binging Mark's gospel together. No recaps. But here in chapter three, Mark decides it's been a while. And so here is the recap. Take a look with me as Mark sets the scene we see large crowds following Jesus. Jesus has been gaining popularity. And in verse eight, people are coming from lots of different places, a bunch of which all start with the letter J. Judea, Jerusalem, and across the Jordan. If Jesus was in Manly, it's sort of like people walking on foot from Canberra just to hear him speak. Next, Jesus has been healing the sick. And then to finish up Mark's recap, we see that Jesus has authority over the devil. In verse 11, it says, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him. As our Vision style recap ends, we arrive at the first scene in tonight's episode. And so we, as we look at where we belong, notice with me that Jesus is making a new people. Have a look from verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, I'm studying currently uh, at a Bible college in the city, and I've only been there for a little bit over a year, Uh, but if I've learned even just one thing, it's that when numbers are mentioned... They're normally there for a reason. You see, it's not insignificant that it's 12 disciples that Jesus calls. You see, right at the start of the Bible in Genesis 49, God creates and formalizes the nation of Israel, the first people of God. And he does it through 12 sons of Jacob. There's that number 12. The 12 sons of Jacob, they go on to form the 12 tribes of Israel, and through them, God creates a new people, the original Israel. Well, just like God called and appointed those 12 sons to be the beginning of Israel, so in tonight's passage, Jesus calls and appoints a new 12 to be the beginning of a new Israel, a new People of God, Jesus is making a new people. Now, as Jesus sets uh, sets about making this new people, there's a few things for us to notice about the nature of this new group of people. First, take a look at what they are called to. In verse 14, he appointed twelve that they might be with him. You see, first and foremost. The call to this new people is to be with Jesus. It's a call to closeness. Jump back to the original Israel, to those 12 tribes, and there's this story a little later in the Bible, in Exodus 24, where Jesus decides he's going to meet with these people, these new people that he's made. God's gonna meet them on a mountain, but for the 12 tribes of Israel, God says to them, You are to worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Exodus 24, 1 and 2. You see, there's distance. But as Jesus calls and appoints his 12, Jesus redefines what it means to be in the people of God. While the original Israel stand at a distance, this new people that Jesus is making, they are called to closeness. From verse 13, it says, Jesus called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. You see, Jesus is not calling us to religious ritual or selfless spirituality. Jesus is calling us closeness. Jesus is calling us to be part of his new people. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, Jesus is inviting you to come and to be with him, to come and follow him. Because in relationship with Jesus is where we belong being part of this new people that Jesus is making. That's where we're meant to be. Jesus is calling us to closeness. But take a look and notice a second thing, that the call to closeness is inseparable from a call to go. In verse 14, we read that he appointed 12, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out. You see, the call to closeness is also a call to go, to be sent out. To do what? Well, it's right there in the text. They're sent out to preach and to have authority. Or to put it simply, Jesus is saying, if, that we, if we are going to be part of this new people, his new people, then we need to tell people about Jesus. Jesus wants us to share our faith. I wonder if you noticed this during our Disney Plus WandaVision recap at the start. In verse 11, we saw impure spirits, these possessed people, falling down and crying out, you are the son of God. When I was reading uh, that this week, it almost uh, seems like these evil spirits are helping Jesus get the word out. It almost seems like these evil spirits are spreading the good news. But in verse 12, we read that Jesus gave the evil spirits strict orders not to tell others about him. Why doesn't Jesus want people to know who he is? Well, can I suggest to you tonight that yes, Jesus wants people to know who he is. And yes, Jesus wants the word to get out but not from the lips of demons, because that's our job. That's our job. That's part of what it means to be in the people of God. Just like the first 12 of Jesus' new people, Jesus is calling us to go and to tell people about him. Jesus is calling you to share your faith. Before starting college, uh, when it comes to sharing our faith, one of uh, my good friends at work was the best at this. Uh, His name uh, is Corn, there he is, uh, short for Cornelius, uh, not corn on a cob. Um, There's that photo of us on my wedding day. And after uni, we both found ourselves at ComBank uh, in the graduate program, both Christians, both keen on sharing our faith, and both in the same team. Now, day after day, Korn would just tell me about different conversations, different faith conversations that he was having with our colleagues. And just time after time, it was so great as he would just encourage me and keep reminding me that being part of Jesus' people meant being someone who shares my faith. Well, as Jesus calls the 12, we've seen that Jesus is making a new people. But who is Jesus? Or to put it another way, if we're meant to belong with Jesus, who does Jesus belong to? In our passage, we see two accusations. Take a look with me from verse 21 in your Bibles. It says, when Jesus' family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, saying that he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, they said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Jesus' family, they accuse him of being a lunatic. He's out of his mind, they say. And the teachers of the law, they accuse Jesus of being a liar. While Jesus claimed to be sent by God, the teachers of the law accuse him of being sent by the devil. They're saying, you're not meant to be with Jesus because Jesus is with the devil. So he replies with a parable, a story. How can Satan drive out Satan, he asks. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Only then can he plunder the strong man's house. You see, Jesus is neither of nor from the devil. Jesus is opposed to the devil. In the parable, Satan is the strong man and Jesus is the one who's plundering his house. Jesus is in the house, he's tied up Satan and now he's plundering his house. You see, Jesus has overcome the devil and so Jesus is not in cahoots with the devil as the teachers of the laws might suggest but rather you belong with Jesus because Jesus is with God. The people of Jesus are the people of God and it's in the people of God that we belong. That's where we're meant to be. Human beings were made to be in relationship with God. That's where we belong. Now, as we look at this passage tonight, one verse stands out as pretty jarring. I suspect you know what I'm talking about. If not, have a look. Um, I'll draw it to your attention. (laughs) Verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. The unforgivable sin. I don't know about you, I sort of thought that all my sins could be forgiven. (laughs) So what does it even mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Look, in many ways, it would be easier and simpler to just pretend that Jesus didn't say this, to just preach this sermon and not even talk about it. But when we come to difficult parts in the Bible, like this verse, we don't get to decide which parts are in and which parts are out. We're not God. God is God. And the Bible is His word, not ours. So, what should we make of the unforgivable sin? Well, in our Disney Plus recap at the start, we saw Jesus had been casting out demons. And it was in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was doing these things. Way back in chapter one of Mark's gospel, when Jesus was baptized, we saw the Holy Spirit descending on him. And so hand in hand, Jesus works together with the Holy Spirit. So when the teachers of the law are accusing Jesus of being with Satan... What they're doing is they're attributing his work to the devil. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons, they say. To attribute the work of Jesus to the devil is an outright rejection of Jesus and who he is. Simply put, you cannot reject Jesus and expect his forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from Jesus. And so if you reject Jesus, you are also rejecting his forgiveness. Outside of Jesus, there is no forgiveness for sin. And that's what Jesus is talking about. If you do not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this side of death, then there is no forgiveness. But to those of us who have faith, hear these words of comfort. As Jesus says, truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. If you have accepted Jesus, if you're part of this new people of Jesus, then all of your sins are forgiven. All your failures are wiped away. All your wrongs are made right in him. So we've seen that Jesus is making a new people, and so next, as we come to tonight's passage, we see the kind of people that Jesus is making. Jesus' mother and, they, and his brothers they arrive on the scene, and someone is sent in to call for him. Take a look at how Jesus replies. Who are my mothers, my mother and my brothers? He asks. Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. As Jesus calls and appoints these 12 disciples, so he extends that invitation to us as well. Jesus is not just making any kind of new people. Jesus is making a family. Here are my mother and my brothers, he says. You see, the Christian faith is not rules and ritual, it's relationship. And it's not just any kind of relationship, it's family. 12 years ago, I joined God's family. Although I grew up going to a church, uh, there comes a point in your life when you have to decide uh, that you're gonna take that faith to be your own. Well, in year 10, as I began to really investigate and consider uh, Jesus for myself, two friends from school were also on their own journey towards faith. And because Jesus' family is family, when I became a Christian, I gained at least those two new brothers. Matt Meeks and Peter Jonas, who are here tonight, became the brothers that I never had. I remember as a kid, I always wanted a brother. I was the youngest, two older sisters, no brothers. And now in a beautiful way, God had given that to me. Two brothers in Christ. In Matt, I found a brother to wrestle with the big questions of life, faith, and meaning. And in his parents, Wally and Julie, another set of parents for me too. Adults I could rely on to support and encourage me in everything that I do. And as me and Matt both got married and have had kids, that family, the family of God, has grown even more. And it's been such a joy to now get to raise our daughters together. And in Pete, together we went on a two-year church planting journey. Helping in a team to start a new church, I found a brother who's always willing to help me out and go along with my crazy ideas. Pete has also helped assemble like 90% of my furniture in my apartment. You see, the people of God are family, and that family is bigger than blood. Verse 34, he looked around at those seated around him and might I suggest that he looks around here at those seated around him tonight and he says, here are my mother and brothers. The Christian faith is not rules and ritual, it's relationship. Well, if the Christian faith is family, how do we enter into that family? Take a look at verse 35. Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The person that does God's will is Jesus' brother and sister and mother. Status, blood relation, attendance at church, even theological study credentials or church leadership positions... None of these things bring us into the family of God. See how even Jesus' own immediate family are not guaranteed automatic entry into the people of God, into the family of God. I'm not saying they weren't part of God's family, but their blood relation did not secure that position for them. Rather, Jesus says it's to those who do God's will that make up his family. So what is God's will? How do we do God's will and enter into his family? In John 6, 29, Jesus sums it up like this. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Doing God's will begins with responding rightly to Jesus. Doing God's will begins by believing that Jesus has been sent by God. And to continue in his will means persevering in your faith, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, and in the face of opposition. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are part of his family. This is where we are meant to be. To be in the family of Jesus, to be forgiven of our sins, to be made right with God, Jesus' family is where we belong. Jesus' family is where true life is found. And Jesus' family is the place we are meant to be. Now, as we talk about family, I want to acknowledge that your experience of family might make it hard to get excited about being part of another family. And let's be honest, family can be difficult at times. Now, perhaps that's not you. Perhaps your experience of family has been fulfilling. It has been beautiful. And if that's you, that is awesome. That's great. But I know that's not the case for everyone. And even if a peaceful family has been your experience, there are times, or there will be times, when it's hard, when it's difficult, I know that's been my experience. And look, I don't want to oversimplify a complex situation. Not at all. But family can be overwhelming. It can be painful at times. But so hearing Jesus say in this passage tonight that you are my brother. This week, I just sobbed over that. That Jesus would include us. Include you and include me in his family, that's huge. That is huge. The invitation from Jesus is not just an invitation to follow, but it's an invitation into a loving, caring family, God's family. And so if your experience of family love has been imperfect, let me tell you that God's love for his family is perfect if you have ever felt on the outer, if you have ever felt excluded, let me tell you, there is always room for you in the family of God. This family invitation is open to everyone. Verse 35, Jesus says, whoever, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. There's always room in the heart of God for another brother or another sister. Four months ago, uh, me and Kate welcomed our daughter into the world. Lucy was born last November. And let me tell you, my love for her is incomparable. I'd not experienced anything like that before. So driving in the car a few weeks ago, uh, Kate turned to me and she said, Max, I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure how I could Ever love another child as much as I love Lucy? I think it was like the next day we were talking to Fred Thorpe from the 5 p.m. service about this, and she just said to us, God reaches in and makes your heart bigger. Let me tell you, there is always room in the heart of God for another son or daughter. His heart has been made bigger, (laughs) it's big. In tonight's passage, we've seen that Jesus is making a new people and that we are called to be both with him and we are called to go out from him to share our faith. And turning our ideas of God on its head, we saw that this new people that Jesus is making is actually a family. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. And the invitation is open to whoever does the will of God by believing in Jesus. This is where we belong. Jesus' family is where you are meant to be. Jesus' family is where we are meant to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father. And we thank you that Jesus is our brother. Thank you for inviting us and including us in your family. With you is where we are meant to be. Let us find peace and comfort knowing that your family is where we belong. Jesus, thank you for overcoming the devil and bringing us into relationship with God.